Hello, my name is Katie, and this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast, and today we're talking about sex. Get excited. This is Sheila Gregor. I'm thrilled to have her on this podcast. She has been talking about sex since 2003, writing, blogging, and speaking, and doing it in such funny and relatable and truth-based ways and evidence-based ways. I love all the stuff that you do. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I sound so old. Gosh, 2003. Yeah, it has been a while. (laughs) It's okay. You are digging deep though. I have just been like taking notes on your books and some of the stuff you do online. You interviewed 20,000 women on sex, on their views of sex. Like you you know some things. Yeah, I know. That's that's huge. Yes, yes, we did. And we did it because I was so freaked out when I actually read some of the other marriage books in the Christian space. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if this is what we're teaching, what are we doing to people? So I thought I've got to get to the bottom of it. And you did, and you you create such healthy conversations. One of the things I always like to say is this messy middle, right? Because we have these conversations, generally speaking, in the 90s of this, don't even think about sex, sex is bad. (laughs) And then we have this like, shack up with whoever you want, whenever you want. (laughs) Why don't we have conversations in this beautiful, beautiful, messy middle? And I think that's what you're doing so beautifully. So talk to me about the great sex rescue. Yeah. So what I was doing is... um, I started mommy blogging in 2008. Like I was in that that mommy blogging space where you're talking about housework and organizing and parenting and all that all that stuff. Um, and the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. So I had had some small books that were out early in the 2000s, you know, with sex stuff. So I just started talking more about it. My blog started getting really big. Um, I wrote my first book on sex, 2012, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. I wrote 31 Days to Great Sex. So I was doing all of this writing. But the one thing I hadn't done was read the other books because I really didn't want to plagiarize anyone. So I figured, you know, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all saying the same thing. And then one um, day in 2019, it was a Friday and I had a headache and I was procrastinating. And I was on Twitter and people were arguing about whether they needed love or respect. And they were referring to Emerson Egrich's book, Love and Respect, which is one of the best-selling marriage resources in the Christian world. And I thought to myself, I have that book upstairs, but I've just never read it. This is a great way to procrastinate. So I got the book <laughs> and I turned to the sex chapter and I, I'd i say it's like a nuclear bomb went off in my living room because my whole life changed. Because in that chapter, I read things like, if your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. Mm. And his need is for physical release while you need emotional release. I don't even know what emotional release is. Like. Yeah. I'm sort of picturing Sandra Bullock in the proposal where she and Betty White are in the woods and they're doing that weird dance. Like, I, like I don't even – yeah, you know, window to the wall. Like, I don't even know what it means. I don't know either. But, but apparently women don't need physical release. And um, if husbands don't get physical release, they'll have an affair or come under satanic attack. Wow. And there's not a single word in there about how women can and should feel pleasure too. Like sex is entirely for the guy. And I thought, oh my gosh. So um, we started writing about love and respect on our blog and we were just inundated by hundreds of messages from women who said that that book enabled abuse in their dating relationships Mm -hmm. and their marriages. Um, So we compiled a report, sent it into Focus on the Family, which publishes love and respect. I thought they'd listen to us. They didn't. Oh, wow. So just totally ignored us. Didn't even answer our emails. And I, I knew Jim Daly. 
It's not wow. like I didn't know him. Oh, yeah. I've been on the show three times. If you go to Focus on the Family and try to find me now, they've scrubbed me, but but I was on the show three times. Um, wow. And so we just thought, okay, then we'll just do the biggest research project that's ever been done Yeah. of women's sexual and marital satisfaction, and we'll get to the bottom of this. And that's what we did for the Great Sex Rescue, 20,000 women. <laughs> and oh my gosh, that's amazing. And you learn some things. And you learn women like pleasure as well. I, love, I wrote down... Um, this idea of I choose you and I see you. And so the whole idea of you are the one for me, I think about like romantic movies and romantic songs to say, I have, I only have eyes for you. You're the only woman for me. Yet we have this idea of sex needs practice. Well, what if you have a practice on a hundred different people? Are you, are you going to be better with this one person? You know, like this idea of you are the one for me. Anyway, I would love for you to unpack that more because I thought I was taking notes on that part. I'm like, yes, that is what we need to hear more about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I do think it's really funny that all of these books portray women as not having sex drives. I'm sure a lot of your listeners, especially the ones who aren't married yet, will say, uh, excuse me, like I'm missing out on something too. It's, you know, it, we really, we're all born. We're born with sexual desires. That's yeah. not a bad thing. It is yeah. not a bad thing to have a sexual desire. And women have desires too. But what, you know, sex though is not just physical. The way we talk about it so much is about something which is just physical. That's what Egrich was saying. He didn't say anything about intimacy in that chapter. It was just that men need physical release, which if that's all they need, I don't know why they can't just masturbate. I'm sorry, but that's that's just really problematic. So you're there to be used as a masturbatory aid is, Mm. is essentially what so many of these books teach about women. But we know that's not true. Right. Like sex is supposed to be a deep knowing between two people. Um, there's this funny verse in Genesis 4. I remember first hearing it when I was in junior high and um, the pastor read, Adam knew his wife and they conceived a son. And I'm sitting beside all my 13-year-old friends and the bench is shaking because we're laughing so hard because you know we thought God is just embarrassed of saying the real word for sex there. But the Hebrew root in that word is to know. It's this deep longing for intimacy. It's the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, oh God. Like sex is supposed to be intimate. It's not just physical. And and when you make love with someone who is your spouse, you're, you are saying that, I choose you. Not just I want sex, but I want you, which means both of you need to matter. Right. And that's not what we've been taught. Hey, I hope you're loving this episode. And if you've been around here for a minute, you know that everything I do is to be who I needed when I was younger. And one of those favorite things I like to offer is online mentoring. Basically, my calendar's up, you pick a time, you want to chat with me, and we make it happen. But I noticed in a lot of these calls, some of the same things come up. So what I did is just recorded everything. Recorded relationship advice, money advice, faith callings and questions, whatever it may be. I just recorded all of the most common things I hear in mentoring calls and have it available for you whenever you want to download it. Think about this as all the best advice from the podcast, what you might not hear on mentoring calls and everything else from the internet all piled together. And by Truth for Your 20s listeners, get $20 off with promo code TRUTH. So the link is going to be waiting for you in my show notes and also my link in bio on Instagram. But it's basically all my best big sister advice, everything from online mentoring right there. My goal is this to be just a valuable resource for you to 
dive into anytime you need it, get a refresher anytime you need it. You can watch it unlimited amount of times. I had a girl message me saying she watched it twice because it was that helpful and you get $20 off with promo code truth. So the link again is right here in the show notes and I hope you gain some truths for your twenties. Sex is a gift. We hear that a lot. Well, in, Mm -hmm. in secular culture and Christian culture, whatever. And, and I think you would agree. Yes. Sex is a gift, but I think that we've confused that. I think in your book, you talk about sometimes it's like you're the sweater that your aunt gave you. You're like, okay, cool. It's a gift, but I think I'd rather have an Xbox. Sometimes we have this, it's a gift, but I don't know how to use it well. And I don't, um, well, first let's talk about to the single girl. Cause we talk about this. It's okay to have a sex drive. That means your hormones work. That means you're beautifully created. That means that, you know, everything Mm -hmm. is healthy and don't be ashamed of that. How do you manage the sex drive when you are single? I guess I want to talk about that first. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I think it's so important not to use shaming language yeah. on yourself um, because it is natural, you know, to to want to be with someone. It is, and if that's a real desire you have, you know, do what you can to meet people, get out there. But but understand too that our root desire is for intimacy, and God created our bodies to connect sexually, sure, yeah. and that's one route to intimacy, but it isn't the only one. Right. Um, and so, you know, throw yourself into relationship, throw yourself into volunteering. Hey, if anything, you're going to meet people that way <laughs> regardless. Yeah. But the, you know, the more you're doing things, the more you're getting out there in your life, then the less you're going to feel the lack of it because it is a lack. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that, that, that you're disappointed. And that's okay to tell God too, that you're disappointed. Um, so just say, what can I do with my life now to be meaningful, to be purposeful, to feel intimate on other levels and other ways with different people? Um, so that, yeah, so that, that I feel like, um, my life matters even if I don't have some of these things that I wish that I did. So I I think that's really important. That's good. Um, I think the idea that sex is a gift can be so harmful, though, especially to to women as we're getting ready to get married, because it sounds like you're saying sex is going to be awesome. And there are so many women who are sincerely and utterly bewildered <laughs> and disappointed <laughs> once, once they do have sex, because we're never told what great sex really entails or what it takes to get there, or even how to understand how our bodies work. And so it can be really bewildering when you do get married, you have sex, and it's like, seriously, this is it? I read in your book, you said something that like 40% of women reach a climax and 95, almost 100% of men. That So that's there's obviously some miscommunication in happening. Yeah. So we call that the orgasm gap. So basically 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm on a given sexual encounter. And it's only about 48% of women. Wow. So that's a huge orgasm gap. So men are, well, they're pretty much guaranteed pleasure in sex. Women are not. And the only way for women to have pleasure is for both of you to focus on her pleasure. But we tend to see sex from a very male standpoint. Like if I were to ask you, you know, did you have sex last night? Which I'm not going to ask you, but if I were to ask you that, because that's creepy, but whatever. Like <laughs> we think that what I'm asking sounds like you're putting together Ikea furniture, right? It's like tab A goes into slot B and that's what sex is. So you're, you're describing intercourse. But if that's all sex is, she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head She could be in emotional turmoil. She could even be in physical pain and it would still count as having sex. Mm. 
Yeah. And so we need a much broader definition, which is sex is something which, like we said, was intimate. Sex is pleasurable for both. And sex is something mutual that both of you want. Like mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. That's the picture we have in the Bible. And that means that it's going to be more than intercourse. Because most women who reach orgasm find other routes to orgasm way more reliable than intercourse. doesn't mean you can't reach orgasm through intercourse, but it doesn't work that way for a lot of women. Um, And so we need this broader definition. But when we see sex as only intercourse, everything else seems like extras. And so you have intercourse. It doesn't feel good for her. He's rushed through it. They don't understand the sexual response cycle. They don't understand foreplay. And then she ends up feeling like she's broken because Mm -hmm. it's not working well. And conversations about it obviously is is so crazy too, that we, we stupidly blindly go into the act acting out of sex, but we don't have conversations about it. And Mm -hmm. especially my word, it pledged to a lifetime with someone, you don't get more intimate than that, but how heartbreaking that you wouldn't talk about it. Some, you know, people will be married for 20 years and not talk about how to make this thing better. I love how you talk about how your book is a great tool for couples to both read together and then come back and have these meetings of here's what I learned. Here's what you learned. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, one thing that we really found in the book, first of all, I was really surprised by how many single people are reading it and also how many divorced people. I was not expecting that, but so many people said like they're working through it just to fix their own wounds and the misinformation that they grew up with. Because basically what we look at in the book is we identify the big messages that really hurt women. You know, so we asked about women's marital satisfaction, their sexual satisfaction, but then we presented them with a number of messages that are common in evangelical resources. And we said, have you ever heard this or did you ever believe it? So then we were able to compare women who did believe something with women who didn't believe something and see how it affected marital and sexual satisfaction. And just working through that, even before you're married, for some, if you grew up really steeped in a lot of purity culture, just reading through it before you're married to get rid of a lot of this toxicity can be very helpful. Or if you're newly married, work through it with your, with your husband, just to realize, okay, we believe this stuff because even these beliefs in and of themselves, lower orgasm rates, lower libido, increased rates of sexual pain for women, just believing this stuff. So we've Mm got to change how we think about it. Oh, well, I'm so thankful that you're uh, providing these conversations. One of the things I want to talk about is women and how you said you surveyed 20,000 women and okay, well, obviously men are a part of this as well, but why you chose specifically women. And we talked about that with the huge orgasm gap, Mm -hmm. but what you're doing specifically for women to help pleasure and regain and reclaim what this gift of sex is supposed to be. I just think I'm thankful for the work that you're doing for women. So just maybe I want to talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, because we we really wanted to look at how these messages hurt women because yeah. I'm not saying they didn't hurt men. And we, we've since done a follow-up survey of men and we, we have another book, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, looking at how a lot of the stuff affected men too. But with women, you know, we know that women suffer from low desire in the church, even lower desire than other surveys have found of secular women, women outside the church. So we know for some reason our libidos are lowered. We know that we, that our orgasm rates are lowered. We know that our rates of sexual pain or vaginismus are twice as high as the general population. 
twice as high. And we've known that for 50 years, it's been in the gynecology literature, but no one could tell you why. And so we just wanted to get to the bottom of it. You know, yeah. if we've got almost a quarter of women experiencing sexual pain in the church, a quarter, that's huge. Yeah. And no one talks about it. Everyone knows what erectile dysfunction is. No one says the word vaginismus. Yeah, I haven't and, heard of it. Yeah, vaginismus is way more common for people under the age of 40. And we had 7% of women had so much pain that penetration was impossible. Oh my goodness. You know, and that was part of my story too. So th- I was this is something I was really passionate about. Um, but I can trace backwards the things that I believed and the books that I read that I think specifically led to that. And in listening to other women's stories, like it helped me fill in some of the missing pieces in my own life. As we looked at the survey results, as I listened to women's stories, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> that explains yeah. so much. <laughs> and you do a lot of this work with your daughter, correct? Yeah. So um, my my oldest daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach, was working with me on the blog in 2019 when I read Love and Respect, as well as another woman, um, Joanna Sawatsky, who had just given birth. Uh, so she had a little baby and she was staying at home. She was an epidemiologist and a statistician. So she's like super science geeky. And we were just all working on the blog together. And then we read Love and Respect and I started FaceTiming them and we all said, we got to do something about this. And yeah. so my daughter, Rebecca, has a psychometrics background in survey development and she's also a really good writer. You know, Joanna's the stats person. So between the three of us, <laughs> we managed to create this survey. Rebecca did the qualitative work with the focus groups. Joanna crunched the numbers for the stats and I read all the problematic books and then Rebecca and I wrote it. So yeah, it was like, it's, it, we all, we needed all of our skills. <laughs> I love that. You talked about how the most unlikely job to do with your daughter, but what a yes. great team though. You coming at it from different generations, from different background, well, same background, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Like different viewpoints. And I think, I think that's great and beautiful, healthy work, honestly. You know, we're, we're sexual beings and to stop being shy about it especially in the church, celebrating how God created us and just talking about the dang thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rebecca and I like to joke that we know nothing about each other's sexual preferences at all because we only talk about research, right? We talk about how stuff works. We talk about what the research says. We, you know, we just talk about what's evidence-based because it's not about me. It's not about her. It's because that's the problem is so many of our books were written by people who weren't qualified, who hadn't done any research, who were not trained in this. And then they just ended up writing books from their own perspective. And, and that's about, really unhealthy. Sure. And you talk about how your husband is a, the word is He's a me. pediatrician. Pediatrician. I'm like, pediatrician. I'm seeing a, pe- yes. <laughs> a yes. pediatrician. And so, as you said, you know, if someone comes in with asthma issues, then you're going to look at research and what works and all the data to say what is going to help this child with asthma and same, but what wasn't being done in the huge gap that I think that you're filling is, Hey, let's look at some data and ask some questions and help Christian women specifically have better sex lives. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Obviously the book is a great tool, but maybe you can give us some tools. There's a newly married girl listening and, you know, she grew up in the church. We all have different things that we come to obviously, but this idea of, okay, sex is bad, sex is bad, light switch, flip, now sex is good, have fun. And she's trying to navigate, what the heck? Maybe <laughs> you can talk to her for a minute because I feel like that's a huge gap that we don't educate our young women. 
Yeah, we really don't. And I would say, let, let me share with you um, the most destructive teaching that we found that is heavily implicated in all kinds of really bad stuff. And it's the idea that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Mm. And that's very related to this, don't have sex, don't have sex. And now you have to have sex, right? You have to have sex because he has sexual needs that you need to meet. When a woman believes that she's obligated to have sex, her chance of experiencing sexual pain increases to almost the same statistical effect as prior abuse. Wow. So our bodies literally interpret obligation as trauma. Mm. Wow. Like that's scary. Yeah. And because if sex is supposed to be something intimate, then it has to be two people coming to the bedroom with everything they are and saying, I choose you, I want you. If sex is an obligation, though, it's saying what you are feeling or experiencing or wanting is irrelevant. Only his needs matter. Only his experience or opinions or wants matter. And so it's not an intimate knowing. It's actually an erasing of you as a person. And when we feel erased, that is where the trauma response comes from. When we feel I don't matter, that is where the trauma response comes from. Whenever we frame sex as obligation, it doesn't work. It just doesn't. But <laughs> the response that we often get is, well, you are supposed to have sex when you're married then. So how would you talk about it without talking about obligation? And I find this really, really funny because like if I, Katie, if I were to put a chocolate cake in front of you, what I have to say to you, chocolate cake is a gift. You need to eat that cake. No, like, you would not no, have to convince me. <laughs> exactly. You would go looking for a fork. Like the, your biggest problem would be, how do I not eat the whole cake? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if when we're telling women, you need to have sex, whether you want it or not, the underlying assumption is that sex actually isn't a gift for her. She actually isn't going to like it. Because if she likes it, if it's something great, why wouldn't she want it? And this is how I want us to start thinking about this differently, okay? We frame the main problem with sex in marriage as girls not wanting it, as women not wanting it once they're married. But what we found, and I'm going to list five things, okay? When women frequently reach orgasm, when there's high marital satisfaction, when they feel emotionally close during sex, so they're not feeling used or anything like that, when there's no porn use in the marriage, and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency takes care of itself. It's just not a problem in general. I mean, yes, there's some outliers, but on the whole, it's not a problem. And so instead of talking about obligation, let's see if women don't want sex, let's see that not as the problem itself, but as a symptom of another problem. And let's just start asking why. Like, yeah. let's make sex great for her instead of just saying, oh, you don't want sex? Well, you have to have it anyway. Like, do we believe it's a gift or not? I just, I find this, I find this mind boggling. Yes. And I am just flabbergasted that you talk about how it's the trauma response. And when, and we're teaching Christian women, no, you have to, or he's going to be unfaithful. How many yeah. broken things in that one statement? Like, how oh, that's just so damaging. Thank you for switching this conversation. I also want to talk about body image because I know a lot of women will be like, oh, well, I don't feel pretty uh, or he, mm -hmm. they might tell themselves he doesn't want me, whatever, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I just know that you have some wisdom in there. I saw your video about Barbie and how if she was anatomically <laughs> correct yes. walking, she wouldn't be able to because she would fall flat on her face from her 
breast being too big. So anyway, yes. I know that all like works in our brain when it comes to sexuality. Yeah, I think body image is a really difficult one because we get it from society, which tells you that you don't measure up. And remember that our society has a really big stake in women feeling like they don't measure up because first of all, there's a lot of money in it. You think, you think about all the money that women spend trying to make themselves beautiful, trying to make themselves fit other clothing, you know, even, even the amount of clothing that women buy. Like there's a lot of money riding on women not feeling like they measure up. Um, but also when you make women insecure, it's, it is a way to keep women down. Like it's a very good control tool. So our society has a lot of, a lot of, um, stake in making women insecure, but the church has also done it too in different ways. So what we've spread is the message that all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle, right? Every guy is going to be checking out every other woman and they can't help it. That's just the way men are made. And that makes us feel like our bodies are really threatening to men. You know, you think about, I remember when my youngest daughter was 11, a Sunday school teacher came to her and said, you're going to have to start watching what tops you wear now that you're starting to develop because the men will look down your shirt or will look at you. I couldn't get that girl to go to church for the next couple of weeks because she was so freaked out about the men who are going to be checking out her boobs. Like she was 11. Oh my gosh. Wow. And you think about what happens to women when they're given that message. And so many of us were at puberty, right? Your body is now threatening to the men around you. And it makes us really hate our bodies. Oh you know? my gosh. So our bodies are sources of shame. Plus they don't measure up, society tells us. Um, and it can be it can be a really toxic mess to get through that and to say, no, you know what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't need to look like some airbrushed model who doesn't even look like that. But also it's okay for me to expect that the man I'm going to marry or the man that I have married will focus on me and not other women. Yeah. And that is not unreasonable to expect. Yes. I want to talk about porn though real quick because you mentioned that and how damaging that can be to sex life. Mm -hmm. There's a misconception of it doesn't hurt anyone. It's kind of in this vacuum and I can get my pleasure and, and then turn it off, so to speak. Or, or maybe I can, you know, just fill my mind with all these images. And then when I'm married, it'll be fine. I'll turn it off which obviously I know is a bunch of lies. But anyway, with your research, with your brain, I just want you to talk a little bit about porn and how it's not helping anyone in the bedroom. No, it really isn't. And the one thing I always like to say about porn whenever the, the topic comes up is my number one thing about it is it is a social justice issue. For no other reason, those are real women yeah. and girls being abused. And Yes, it has tremendous effects on our marriages. It has tremendous effects on ourselves and our self-esteem and on the men's self-esteem. But number one, there are real victims and we cannot forget that. So I'm very, very adamant about that. But you know what, what we did in this survey and in the subsequent survey of men was we took a look at how a man's porn use affects the marriage. And it is really damaging. It makes him a far more selfish lover so he's far less likely to do enough foreplay, to consider her pleasure. She is less likely to reach orgasm. He is far less likely, or he's he's more likely to be dissatisfied with the amount of adventurousness that she shows. He's more likely to say, I want her to be more, right? Yeah. I want her to try more spicy things. I want, like, I'm not satisfied. So he's he's far less likely <laughs> to be satisfied with that. The one thing that I would, that I really, really want, and I'm, I'm so glad I get to talk to your audience in particular, because this is important to me. What I want 20 year olds to understand 
is that two things. First of all, if a guy gives up porn before he's married and he gives up the objectification of women, he can have a really good life. Like this hasn't harmed him forever. I think we we have this idea that if he has ever watched porn, it's hopeless. The stats don't actually bear that out. If they get rid of porn and they get rid of the objectification of women and they they don't see themselves as entitled to sex, then things can be really good. But here's where the second part comes in. Thinking that the only thing he needs to stop is the porn is a problem. Because a lot of guys might stop watching porn, but they still have the same mindset. So they still think sex is about my gratification. She's responsible for meeting my needs. You know, it's natural to lust. So they still believe these toxic, sort of the pornified mindset. So it's not just about quitting the porn. It's about seeing women as whole people made in the image of God, not as body parts that exist for my pleasure. Yes, 100%. I'm like, oh, drop the mic, drop the mic. And I think that it's also <laughs> crazy to assume, oh, I'm just going to look at pornography before I'm married. And then my husband or wife is going to meet all of that. <laughs> that oh, is- gosh. We heard that so many times that, you know, men get married thinking, now I'm not going to need to watch porn. And like our books actually have taught that. Like the Every Man's Battle series, which sold 4 million copies told men and women that she is the methadone for his sex addiction. Like it literally called women methadone. Oh my word. Yeah. So when he quits porn, be like a merciful vial of methadone for him. (laughs) So he's going to use you so that he doesn't watch porn. Totally and completely toxic. Who wants to sign up for that? And like you said, the, the woman that makes her feel used it makes her just feel yep. like a sex kitten. And by the way, she has needs and desires and she's an, an actual human being as it's yes. all interrelated, everything we're talking about and how seeing that person as a full person. And I think I remember you also saying something about how women support, um, when women report being satisfied in their marriage, they also support being reaching climax more likely. So it's not yes. just the physicalness. And when we break it down to that, that's just insane. Anyways, it, it, we're a whole human being. There's so much more to intimacy than just our bodies. Anyway, you said all that, but it just, it all goes together and I get all mm-hmm. of my passions about it too. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about, you know, you can turn off this porn and as you said, renew your mind in a lot of ways, obviously it's not just turning off porn. It's the way you look at the woman, but also something that comes up, I do online mentoring and maybe people have had a sexual past or there there's issues there for whatever reason. And, you know, starting a new one away till marriage in this new relationship, want to do this thing, right. Talk to me about renewing your mind, what that might look like healing from past wounds. Um, I believe there's new beginnings, but I know there's also going to be consequences sometimes. So anyway, I would love for you to unpack that a little more. Yeah. Well, first of all, when you have a past, it really depends what kind of past you have. Right. Because some people might have a past where uh, I was actually in a healthy relationship, but it didn't work for whatever reason. And I had a lot of heartache. That's one thing. But then there's, I was in quite a toxic relationship where there was a lot of coercion, where there might have been abuse. If it's something more like that, then I highly recommend going through some trauma counseling, going through some counseling before you get married, because there may be just big things that you got to unpack. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean that you're not a good Christian. It doesn't mean that you're not 
faith. You don't have enough faith. It just, some of us have some big things that do need to be looked at and guys might have that too. Um, so I think working through those things is really important. I think when you, when you want to do this relationship differently, the big thing that we, that we want to stress before you get married is knowing each other's character, just seeing their character under pressure, seeing how they live in real life. Um, and, and let, the emotional connection be what fuels you as opposed to the sexual connection. Because what often happens is, you know, you have sex and maybe the sex is really good. You know, maybe you have sex before you're married and it's really good. And it makes you feel like we're so close. Or maybe the sex isn't so great, but he is so, he feels so close with you and he treats you really well because you're having sex. And so you, you feel like this must be what love is like. But it isn't necessarily. And that's why as much as possible, if we can put sex, you know, we can say, no, I want to keep this as something sacred for when we're married. But right now, what I want to do is see how we're emotionally connected without yeah. the sex. Because when you're married, you're not going to be having sex 24 hours a day. You're just not. And right. <laughs> you need other stuff. And so what is that other stuff going to be? What do you guys have in common? What do you do that's fun? Does he, can you volunteer together? Like, make sure he's got a life outside of just video games and goofing off, right? Like, do you have any kind of a life outside of that? And how can you do that with him? You know, what's he like with kids? <laughs> Let's go volunteer at a youth group, or you know, I don't know, take out some nieces and nephews for the day. What's he like? What's he like with kids? Those are the kinds of things that we often don't do because we spend so much time, quote unquote, dating. And then you don't see them in real life. So like go grocery shopping, make a meal. You know? Yeah. Can he budget? Like the stuff that's actually important. <laughs> right. Some, you know, uh, on my comment, sometimes on my <laughs> TikTok or something, people say, oh, well, you got to try it before you buy it. Mm, okay. Well, financial issues and communication are usually what people cite as divorce issues. So why don't you try that <laughs> before you yeah. buy it? Oh yeah. Sex, you can figure out. You really can. You can figure out sex as long as you've got good communication and as long as you're both of good character. Right. And so it is way more important to figure out the communication and character thing because people can hide bad character. A lot of people yeah. do. They hide yeah. it for a long time. So see, see what they're like in real life under pressure. One of the things you talk about is a lot of people have had sex, but very few people have made love. And mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want you to talk about that because I think that huh, there's just so much confusion around this topic. And I, I just, anyway, yes, please tell yeah. me more. <laughs> you know, just because sex really is more than just two bodies yeah. meeting. What we found is that when you have high marital satisfaction, you're more likely to have high sexual satisfaction, but sexual satisfaction in and of itself cannot create a good marriage. Mm. It just can't. Because it is possible for two bodies to work together, but not have that really impact how you feel about each other. Yeah. And it's possible to even climax. We found this too. It's possible to even climax during sex and still feel used afterwards. Wow. And, and, and if, you, if you want more than that, if you want to feel like, no, I am really truly known. If you, if you picture um, sex as something where we're naked physically, yes, but also metaphorically. Right right? Like we're coming to the bedroom. We don't have any masks on. This is who I am. You know, all of me. I know all of you. I still accept you. Um, I still love you. We're still together. I'm choosing you every time. And it's like, this is who we are together. It isn't just 
I am bringing my body, but I'm holding everything back. It's no, I'm not holding anything back. Yeah. And I know I don't need to because I'm safe with you. That's what that's what we're looking for. That's so good. I, I think undressed in every form of the word is so key right there because of course intimacy is so much more than just our bodies and we're more satisfied mm-hmm. when we're undressed in every form of the verb because it's like you saw me throwing up, you saw me angry, mm-hmm. you saw me am I good, am I bad, am I ugly? And you choose me and you and you keep choosing me. And again, that's why it's so and I love what you also said about how it can, you can figure each other's bodies out, like physical can. So if you work on this emotional and you build and this two humans, I choose you. Okay. You get to the first, your wedding night and maybe it's a little awkward. That's okay. Like you can have communication and work through things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anything else about the great sex rescue that you just want to share with young people or just, I mean, I think that your wisdom is so valuable to our listeners. So I don't want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. I think what what we found really overwhelming in doing the work was just recognizing how a lot of these really negative messages are throughout the church's resources, whether it's in books or I get sent weekly, I get sent dozens upon dozens of sermon clips or TikTok videos of, of, of pastors sharing some of these really terrible messages from the pulpit. Um, these things really impact us. Mm-hmm. They do when you yeah. hear them over and over again. And so being able to recognize what truth is, is so important because you deserve more than this. You do. You deserve more than feeling icky, than feeling like you're a sin management tool, you know, than, than feeling like um, sex isn't something that's for me or that someone else has the right to use my body. That's not of God. Right. And so I just want to tell people, if you're feeling icky with the messages that you're hearing, there might be a reason. Doesn't mean that you're rebellious. Doesn't mean that you don't love God. There might be a reason and lean into that and ask God to show you what the truth is. You know, I hope something like the Great Sex Rescue can take you through that. But we've done a really bad job of this in the evangelical church. And so I think it's time that we call the church to more. Put my hands up over here. (laughs) yes and thank you for the work that you and your co-laborers have done the healthier conversations i i did not grow up in purity culture i didn't really grow up in church but i did grow up in the 90s and so i'm familiar with those voices and and that and then and then you know also mtv and notorious big telling me you know like (laughs) Check Mm -hmm. up with whoever whenever and and again in in this messy but beautiful middle I think is, is this gift of sex that you are calling out so, so well. And so I guess just one more question in your research, just a better, healthier definition of how we can have this viewpoint of this gift as we will called sex. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, again, I, what I really like to emphasize is three things. I talk about more in the book, but just three that you can remember is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both, which means that both of you have to matter. This is something about the two of you together. It isn't just a physical act. It's something about the two of you together, which means that you matter. Yes. And don't ever let anyone feel like you don't. Preach, sister. Sheila, your book is available on Amazon. We will make sure we link it in the show notes of this episode. And thank you for spending your time. I know this is going to be a number one download. I'm so thankful for this conversation. 
Sheila Gregoire. Isn't she amazing? I knew this episode would not disappoint. Hey, especially for this episode, make sure you check the show notes. We will have a link to the book we talked about here called The Great Sex Rescue. And she also just had a brand new book come out called She Deserves Better. Everything she writes is amazing. So I know that you're going to want to check out those resources. Hey, and if this episode was helpful for you, make sure you share it with a friend. Whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or wherever, you can simply share it Text a friend, let her know, hey, girl, you need this episode. It's so good. Or better yet, take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Give me a tag at Katie Bulmer Life, and I will thank you for sharing that. So again, check those show notes, and I hope today that you had fun and gained some truths for your 20s.